Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. When you fall, get up, and this is not easy, and scale is better than single. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best for listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, David McElwain. How are you doing, David? I'm great. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And it's my pleasure and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about David. He's the founder and CEO of Mac Assets, MAC Assets. They syndicate BNC value properties, value-add properties. He's a general partner in about a thousand doors, and he's a limited partner in about 200 or so doors. He is based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, David, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So I came to real estate via a divorce in 2014 when I became a single dad and I could no longer do my corporate W-2 job. Previously, I was an executive for a division of Viacom and I lived on an airplane. And when I got divorced, I realized I had to stay home. My kids were far more important to me than an income. 
So I became a realtor by default because I was going to flip houses. In the market in 2014, I decided that the flipping market wasn't sufficient to take the risk of the capital that I was going to put on the marketplace. A $200,000 buy for a 30K return was insufficient to me. So I decided to become a seller as opposed to a flipper. And from there, I evolved. One day, I was in a seminar at the local real estate system, and a guy talked about going big fast and scale. And it hit me like a Mack truck. In my previous world in selling advertising, I would sell 100 markets or 70 markets for the same work as I would sell one market. And when it hit me that I could go into multifamily and do the same thing, the world opened. And literally, I sat down, heard the guy's pitch. Three minutes later, I changed my entire career focus. Hmm. Yeah, just clarify, it's one of those just, moments. Just so I'm clear, 2014, didn't want to flip. Numbers that make sense. So you became a seller instead of a flipper. What's this? Broker. What's a I became a broker. I became a broker. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. you were representing buyers. And yeah, sellers. I became a broker. Okay. I became I'm an agent. You. Cool. Yeah. And then in 2019, I had the epiphany. I had five years of being a broker and being bored with it. And it wasn't exciting or engaging to me. And I figured out the scale thing. Multifamily made immediate sense to me because that's where I had made my money and my living in the past was on scale. And so I absolutely changed my entire business model and I've been very happy doing that. Okay. That seminar was a major turning point for you. What did you do immediately thereafter? What were some of your first steps? Well, the first thing I did is I went and took an underwriting course. And the underwriting course was fascinating because I really learned some fundamentals that I hadn't known before. I had done a lot of underwriting as a residential agent working with small-time investors, single-family stuff. And I went and I walked through what the underwriting differences were between macro and micro deals. And the short answer is it's just zeros. If you're going to underwrite a single-family house, you're going to underwrite a multifamily property with this very yes. similar skill set. There's a lot of nuances to multifamily and underwriting there are. And single family though. It's not But if zeros. you think about it, if you think about it, you've got insurance costs, you've got operational costs, you've got scale on it, but there are subtle variances. But in the macro, what you're doing is you're working through your financing, you're working through your rent projections, you're working through your operating expenses, you're working through all of the risks you have. And they're lesser risk because the zeros are greater, right? That's the thought process that I see from it is that, yeah, you can make mistakes, they're bigger, but at the same time, it's the same premise. You look at it, you figure out where your risks are, and you mitigate those risks. What underwriting course did you take? I went through a thing with Think Multifamily and how they did their underwriting structure. And then I did some work with some other people that were like Neil Bawa's stuff, and I mm-hmm. worked through Rob Beersley's stuff. Then I did a lot of reps, did a ton of reps. And during the course of that period of time, I actually had my house flood while I was out of town for a week. So I had to move into a basement, my girlfriend's house, who's now my wife with my kids while going through this. And I had to do an entire six figure renovation in my house. Made you so it took me a little while. It made me want a nice view, right? <laughs> but you did a lot of reps and pressure tested the learning, a great deal of pressure testing. Uh-huh. And then I just rolled up my sleeves and went at it. All right. So let's talk about that. You, at this point, do not have any deals as a general partner or limited partner. True? Out like open right now story. raising? No, no, no. Yeah. No, at this point, oh, oh, yes. You're in your girlfriend's basement. I'm in the basement. Kids. I moved back into my yeah. house. Thank you God. Have no, I got the you, you renovation no done. Okay. So what is the first deal that you do? 
The first deal I do is a multifamily deal in Montgomery, Alabama for 400 units. I found some partners that I really enjoyed and trusted, spent some time doing some due diligence with them. One of the partners had done about 1,800 doors at the time. Another had been a director at Fannie Mae for, or HUD for 20 years, doing a lot of HUD buyouts and renovations. So I had some guys that could teach me a couple of things. How'd you meet and those partners? Networking events. Which one? I was actually at was one of them down in Dallas. I don't remember the name of it right now. Sorry about that. Okay. I was um, looking through all the Sunrock? courses and Sunrock? it might've been some rocks. Real estate been, guys. It was one of those guys. So I all went right, down to Dallas and I met him and I started talking and we created a relationship and I dug in and then I started raising capital with these guys, went on some due diligence tours with them, went through takeover with them, raised uh, two times my multiple that I expected to raise for the first deal. How much did you uh, raise? I raised about $500,000 in that first deal. Nice. Yeah, it and was a good start. From, from the point that you met these gentlemen to when you sent out that first email to your investors about the deal, about how much time in between? Three to four months. I met them late third quarter, and mm-hmm. we closed in January, and I started raising money in mid-fourth quarter of mm-hmm. 2019, 2020. So I heard the background on the partners. What in addition to that, gave you the comfort level for this to be your first deal with people who you met three to four months prior? Great question. So a couple of things. One, the guys I spent probably 20, 30 hours with them, one-on-one talking with them, working through the underwriting. I vetted their paperwork. I vetted the vendors. I vetted the underwriting property management company or yeah, I talked to everybody. I did my due diligence in my previous world. I ran sales forces and I ran teams remotely. So I've had a lot Mm -hmm. of time and experience interviewing people and learning where there's fluff and where there's substance. Mm -hmm. So I did my same thing. I went in, I talked to them. I decided that the team had a lot of sound background. I liked the project. I liked the market. It was a really interesting off market deal where I love the story. The story was that the previous owner had abandoned it mid-project. So 200 units that were contiguous to 200 other had been abandoned and it become kind of a crack house. So it was a heavy lift. Yes. We had a very heavy lift, a lot of risk in this thing, right? Also a lot of return. And the guys had construction background. They had done this before. They had managed it remotely. The vendors had teams that only moved into the property and worked on it. We had a lot of hiccups along the way, and I knew we would. What I was looking at was who were the horses or who was the jockey, not the horse. And the jockey really was these guys that I figured out and knew what they were doing. They mm-hmm. weren't 20-year-old kids. These were both grown adults that were in their 30s and 40s and had done remote work before, and that was a key. If you've never done remote work before, you don't know how to manage people remotely. But if you have and you have that skill set, it's not that hard, and it's a matter of asking how the questions are done. So that was the answer. There's not a magic bullet to it, but it's trust, and it's Mm -hmm. your gut. And a lot of real estate I've discovered is your gut. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. That was that first deal, and that was around 2019, 2020? Early 2019, 2020, because the year turned on me in the middle. We were supposed right. to close prior to okay. the year end, and it kicked into Q1 of 2020. Got in right before COVID then, huh? Oh, you're right. Yeah, it was 2020. Early 2020. 2021. I'm off by oh, this year. was 2021? Yeah, 2020. off by so, 2021. 
So say, the, the, the COVID year, I was in the COVID me. year, I was in the basement doing underwriting, trying to figure out what to do because the world was changing. Fair enough. Yeah. I, mean, I, I imagine, and I want you to sleep tonight, so don't imagine this too much. But <laughs> imagine if you had closed on this 400 unit property with 200 units being vacant or at least zero economic occupancy on the 200 units. It sounds like they were occupied, but there's zero economic occupancy. Right, right. Imagine closing on that in February of 2020, and then you can't do anything <laughs> with those 200 units that are vacant. You It'll bleed for a long time. Oh, man. Oh. Yep. You bleed for I guess a long my heart time. beating. Okay. Right. So you closed on it early 2021 and I spent oh. the rest of 21 doing fundraising for general partners. Okay. So let's talk about that 400 units. What's the latest? We're under contract to liquidate it before the end of this year at our five-year pro forma in 24 months. Wonderful. What's the so it'll be a good return. Occupancy? The last time I saw it, we we're somewhere in the 80% range. So it's been rehabbed. It's been productive. We finished the construction on it. We're in a lease-up stage now. We're delivering about 20 units a month. New buyers more concerned with the construction than with the economic occupancy. And we're going to take a 15 to 20% IRR back to our investors in 24 months. Wow. It's not a home run, but it's a it good a solid double. You know it's what? a good solid double. It's a good solid double, it's right? Hey, 15 to 20% IRR, I'd say... The 20% is a home run in my book, but right. I'm sure. If we get to 20, it's somewhere in 15 or 20. We don't quite know yeah. yet. So if we're at 15, it's a stand-up double. If we get to 20, we're a home run. And I'm curious, why don't you have a better idea of that if it's under contract? What's it contingent on? Well, I don't know what the final expenses are going to be for the next couple months. So that's the question mark. Fair enough. So, you know, and I try very hard to never over-promise. Yeah, that because, will bite you. I can get a $100,000 invoice that I don't see coming that I'm not the day-to-day guy on this one, right? So I don't know all the day-to-day minutiae of it. So there could be something coming out that could change the return from 18 to 17.5. And then I'm sitting there with egg on my face because my investors are looking for an 18. Yep. Then all of a sudden the 17.5 is not impressive. Doesn't uh, feel good though, then. Yeah, even though if you had said 16.5 and then you hit 17.5, 17.5 is impressive. And that has nothing to do with investing. That has to do with human psychology. And that's how we're all wired. So there's right. nothing that's wrong a, that's with a, that. That's 25 years of corporate sales in America teach you real quickly to never overpromise because yeah. it's always going to come back to you in a painful way. Yep. Virtually no upside to that. I agree. Right. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with one $1 billion in self-storage assets. After completing three funds, 
and selling 38 properties with $0 of investor principal loss. They have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R-R-E-L-I-A-N-T.com. You're in... How many deals as an LP? Three. Three deals as an LP. Yeah. I got out of the LP business really fast. Okay. Because I have a finite amount of capital. I wanted to be an operator. Being an LP, I had been an LP in my corporate world, and I've liquidated all those holdings during my divorce, and I kind of knew the game. And I didn't want to put capital in the LP process. I wanted to put capital in things that I was putting my money in with my fellow investors and being GP. So I didn't spend much energy in the LP side. Okay. But when you put money in on the deals for your RGP, that would be considered an LP, right? Yes, it would be. But I don't think about it like that because okay. my skin's in the game. And if my skin's in the game, I'm thinking about it from a general partner point of view. Yeah, I have sure. returns as a limited partner and technically I'm both. But I really look at it as I got chips on the table and I'm going to push them hard. Fair enough. So have you exited those three deals that you're not a general partner on with the money? One of them is supposed to exit this year. I don't know where we are in that process yet. The other mm-hmm. two are not ready for that time frame. All right. I heard you. you're no longer focused on this, but I'm curious because we have a decent amount of passive investors, LPs right. who listen right. to the show. How did you decide which group or groups to invest with passively? Great question. So I go back to my process and my process might not be the right process for everybody, but the process is, have they been there and done that? How are they going to manage through problems? And then are their assumptions believable to me? From there, I go, and if all those are yeses, then I go into what's the track record show me? And from there, I go into the property at the bottom. Do I like the market? Do I believe in the property? Do I think that the property is going to continue to return positive? And are the dynamics in whatever that property is that will put wind in the sails if there's a major screw up? So have they been there and done that, which seems like that's basically the track record, right? Yeah, right. But been there, done that could be different. I don't have the 30-year track record in real estate of operating for everybody else, but I have a 30-year track record of operating people and companies and teams, and so I know how to handle problems. So that's why I say been there, done that. A lot of skills are interchangeable from property A or market A or problem A to problem B. And so if mm-hmm. you have that skill set, it's transferable. Okay. And then how will they manage problems? How do you vet that when you're looking at which general partner to invest with? I think there are a couple of things. I ask people that have been in there before, so I'm looking for referrals. Then I may ask to read previous reports to see how they report to their investors. I may just ask them point blank if I'm talking to them in a conference. What do you do if? Mm-hmm. It's kind of so, like an interview question, right? What would be a question? What do you do if blank? What would you ask there? So you just ask the question, what do you do if COVID strikes and you've got 50% vacancy and you're in the middle of construction rehab? What do I do then? Well, okay, first we're going to circle the wagons. Then we're going to figure out what is legal. Then we're going to figure out what our financing implications are. 
and you start asking and learning like you do in any interview process, what is the person's domino effect of decision-making going to be? And if the guy's like, oh my God, I panic or, uh, now, first thing you should would do they is say that? Your, would someone no, say, they oh wouldn't say that? But then you got your BS meter and you're like, oh, <laughs> that guy's lying to me. I know he's lying to me. I'm out. So if the guy doesn't mention calling his insurance agent to talk about loss of income, if he has that policy in place, that's something I ask about. Would you consider this? Now, not every policy is going to have that, but that's an illustration of are you paying attention to problems? Are you looking for revenue sources that are not normal? Or if the guy never mentions looking at what are the housing authority systems in place? Mm-hmm. You don't know the answers right now, but that's a great extreme illustration. Or, hey, what's your system and what's your process when a hot water heater bursts and you learn what kind of operator they are, right? So it can be really simple or really complex. Kind of depends on what the conversation I'm having with the person is. I like that. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, we're interviewing people. Yep. Ask questions. And ask questions, but then thankfully you went into some specifics for which questions to ask, right? It's about quality right. questions. And right. Those, and, and maybe a question is something like, hey, if you're doing due diligence, how many sewer lines do you scope? Do you actually go up on roofs and inspect them, or do you have a drone flyover? A lot of drone flyovers these days. What's that tell us? Good questions, right? Good questions. What is something that hasn't gone right? (laughs) Well, I've had three deals term this year. So two of them have gotten busted during due diligence. And one of them, we failed to close while I was on my honeymoon in the end of early August. So it's still pretty raw, but I lost a whole lot of EMD because... We had a 1031 exchange not materialize, and we lost the closing date, and the seller would not extend. How much did you lose? 150 grand. Wow. And what happened? I heard you. You were on your honeymoon, but. Talk about doing a postmortem. Yeah. You know, yeah. How I, to make always it. 2020. And... and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. I still don't quite have an answer as to what I did wrong to learn mm-hmm. from it other mm-hmm. than I've been thinking about this for a long time. Capital's really tight. We had a 1031 commit for a very large percentage of the raise, about 30% of the raise. And was it 10... 1031 money from one of your deals or an outside 1031? Actually 1031 money from a partner of mine on a different deal that I wasn't party to. So I had a very deep Got relationship. It. Sure. Fair enough. Okay. Got it. And the 1031 had closed and this property had been identified Mm -hmm. and we'd gone through all the machinations. Turns out there was one 1031 member who refused to commingle their funds and the 1031 fell apart and would not go to this property because all three people did not agree and didn't know that at the time. Mm. And we learned that two days before closing. And we had already had a couple of extensions. So there, because, there's the issue right there, that documents weren't signed 30 days before closing right. for all partners to sign off on it. Yeah. And that's a great point. It wasn't executed out far enough out prior to closing. It just came down to yeah. the wire. That's and I think problem. I appreciate that because that's the one I hadn't put on my list. So thanks mm-hmm. for teaching me something. Yeah. We've all had expensive lessons. So I'm in yeah. your court for the expensive lessons. Yeah. And those lessons really focus the brain. (laughs) Yeah. This lesson is such a nuanced lesson. If we let it be, 
because it's like, all right, well, this is dealing with a 1031 exchange from an outside party, although be it as a partner of yours, but it's outside deal. And it's probably not going to happen to me. And I'm not talking to you, by the way. <laughs> I'm just talking about- No, you're talking that, to every, all your listeners. Everyone, right, yeah. The right. takeaway is to have someone, ideally your attorney, who has been through the process before, outline all of the milestones that need to take place in order to make it happen and then know what the lead dominoes are and what could blow up the transaction. Right. And where it can fall off the rails for sure. And that was yeah. the Delta point. And when I got on the plane in my honeymoon and we were all set and good to go and I got back oh. on the honeymoon and it was shot. <laughs> you didn't even get some time to decompress and ease out of the honeymoon first stage phone, into reality. First phone call back. The good news was my honeymoon, I had no cell service, so I didn't Thank have it goodness. ruined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're losing 150 either way. So my either way, why ruin the fishing day, right? Why ruin the good Amen. food and, and the lovely connection to my wife? Mm. Right. Well, taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? When you fall, get up. And this is not easy. And scale is better than single. When you fog it up, that's something that I repeat over and over to, you're going to laugh. I'm not dismissing your advice because I repeat it to myself and others, but I also repeat it to my three and a half year old daughter. Like I told my 19 year old daughter this yesterday. It's not about if you fall, it's you get back up. Mm -hmm. Besides telling people this, and I truly want to know. Because I say it, as I mentioned, but how can we bring that to life more with our loved ones or those we care about or the listeners? What is there? Is it maybe an example of that that you have or how can we do that? Great wondering question there. I don't know that I have a solution for that because I'm not the deity, right? But what I would say is that it's telling people what you fell on, how you fell, like losing 150 grand. And you just gave me a great piece of knowledge by being open about it and by being transparent, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I had not processed the idea that I could have had the doc signed 30 days in advance. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I didn't process it. I've been doing this for a long time from a contracting point of view. You get your contracts done. The challenge there is getting your attorneys to get ahead of deadline and getting attorneys to get ahead of deadline. But the reality is that's the solution. And that would have prevented it. So the fall there is I just lost a big amount of money. I got four kids in college right now, so that hurts. So mm -hmm. then you think about, okay, that's a simple solution, and the transparency is what helps. So someone else can That's it. Vulnerability. Being, Vulnerability, being, transparency. Being okay with being vulnerable mm -hmm. and knowing that this is a messy world that we live in. None of us are perfect, so we might as well let our guard down and show people who we are and what we've got. Because the more we do that, the more magnetic we become, the more we become real people to others. Because we are real people, but some of us have our guard up. Some of us are concerned about looking dumb or looking less than perfect to others. And we're not. And, and we're not. Every single person has stuff that they're challenged with and mistakes that they've made. And what they've made. So, yeah, that's a great point. And if you don't talk about it, you don't learn from it. So I actually was looking forward to picking your brain on the 1031 mistake. So I'm really happy that I got a piece of knowledge today. It's an expensive tuition, but okay. It's just yeah. tuition. <laughs> that's right. Fortunately, we're in a business where the business model is solid and profitable for all. So mm -hmm. we just got to smooth out the path as we drink down it. Exactly. We're into a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? 
fire away. That's the way you like to give back to the community. I really kind of keep this private because it's between me and my wife and my friends and family, but I like to give back to kids and I like to give back to charities that I support and trust, and I don't want it to be part of my business because I think it's personal. But I will say that I love swinging a hammer for Habitat for Humanity when I have time. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? MacAssets.com, M-A-C-A-S-S-E-T-S.com. Easy enough. David, thank you for being on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Likewise. Have a wonderful day.